If you brought your Bibles, I'd encourage you to find it. You might find it on your smartphone or your tablet, or perhaps you actually have a hard copy. I had to borrow my wife's. Pastor Steph emailed me uh, several weeks ago and asked if I would come and preach on March the 5th. I looked at my calendar and uh, noticed that this is right at the front end of what we call Lent on the Christian calendar. And then he shared with me that you as a community of faith are reading together a large sections of scripture as you're walking through this preparation time for Easter. Now, he had told me that uh, he miscalculated and then sent me a following email saying that you would be looking at the uh, prison epistles of Paul and the pastoral epistles of Paul. And so then I had to go and rewrite my sermon. Not really, but. And so when I began to read the same material, uh, the prison epistles of Paul and also the pastoral epistles of Paul, I began to journey with you as we're beginning this time on the Christian calendar where we're anticipating the Easter event. And as we do that, I got to thinking that Lent is a time where we can begin to explore the mysteries of God, where we can begin to look at the mystery of Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory, where we can take this time reading together the same scripture and looking at the mystery of the gospel of Christ, which is now revealed in the apostles and the prophets, and you and I can actually read for ourselves in Scripture and have the Holy Spirit speak into our lives hope, faith, joy, and peace. And I got to thinking of the passages that we're reading through, some of the prison epistles like Ephesians and Colossians and uh, uh, Philippians, and to realize that Paul is in prison in Rome, under house arrest, waiting to present his defense before Caesar. Because as a Roman citizen, he had made that legal appeal that he wanted his case tried and heard before Caesar himself. And then when I began to read the pastoral epistles, how Paul has given assignments to Timothy and uh, to Titus to strengthen the community of faith, to put in order things that need to take place so that the church could carry out its mission of declaring the gospel of the kingdom and how there needed to be standards of leadership and how the church needed to be strengthened and encouraged in the faith. What caught my attention, however, was something that Paul mentions 10 times in Ephesians and Colossians. Now, I find that very interesting because he uses this particular word 22 times in all his writing, 
but we find it 10 times in Ephesians and Colossians. And then I began to read about the mystery. And the further I began to explore the mystery, I discovered that this mystery can transform your life. This mystery can transform my life. It can radically change your life. And so I began to explore it further. And then I began to look at, well, how do we define mystery? And as we go through the presentation, those who are doing the PowerPoint are going to try to keep up with me. So next slide. Murray Harris, in his commentary on Colossians and Philemon, this is how he defines mystery. In the Pauline usage, it denotes, in general, a divine truth which is revealed, which was unknowable by humankind apart from revelation, and once hidden but now disclosed in the gospel era, embodied in the person of Christ, More specifically, it refers to God's secret plan of salvation involving the admission of the Gentiles into the freshly constituted people of God and into the benefits of the new covenant on equal terms with the Jews. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, I'm not going to assume that you actually completed the reading. I'm following the daily bread, reading through the Bible in a year. And I'm tracking with that on my tablet. And as I go through the daily reading, then I go down to the bottom of the page and I'm reading through places like Numbers and the Gospel of Mark. Now, whatever method you're using, it's always a good discipline. But to do it as the community of faith together, that is an exciting opportunity to be on the same page. So to help you in your reading, I've actually put up the 10 places where the word mystery appears in Ephesians and Colossians. It first appears in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The mystery of God's will, which is veiled in the narrative of the Old Testament and now made fully known in Christ who embodies the mystery. Then we go on to Ephesians chapter 3 and once again here it's used and this is actually our text this morning it's used no less than four times. Four times. So it must be important. It must be significant. It needs to be mentally highlighted as you're reading that. And if you're comfortable highlighting it 
in your hard copy of Scripture. should be marked. If it's highlighted on your tablet, by the touch of the screen, you can highlight it. And we begin in verse 3, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generation, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel of the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Ephesians 5.32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This comes after his discussion about the mystery of marriage. And how he brings in the mystery of Christ and his bride, the church. Ephesians chapter 6, 19 to 20, he invites them to pray for him. Uh, that he might in word and in confidence, even though he's an ambassador on change, make known fearlessly the mystery of the gospel. And that's what you and I are exploring together during this Lent time. And then we turn to Colossians. Now, Ephesians and Colossians were written from Rome about 60 AD, but written to two very different communities of faith. Ephesians is written to the church gathered in Ephesus, which is really a port city, a very... Uh, important city in the ancient world. That's where a lot of the trade and commerce was happening. Uh, we can read of it in Acts chapter 19. And then going into the Lycus Valley in what we would call modern Turkey, you come to more of a rural center in Colossae. Paul had a very important role to play in starting the church in Ephesus where he encounters those who had heard of John the Baptist but now are hearing the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ for the very first time and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he writes to them because he has first-hand knowledge of the church. While he's under house arrest in Rome, the founding pastor of the church of Colossae makes a special trip to Rome and reports to him what's taking place in the Lycus Valley. What's taking place not only in Colossae, but in the next town, Laodicea, which has really become the more dominant town in that area. And so he reports to Paul what's taking place, some of the struggles they're having, some of the difficulties 
But Paul writes both these congregations while he's in prison. And isn't it interesting that mystery is mentioned so many times in both these letters. Something that uh, catches at least my attention. I'm hoping it's grabbing your attention. Colossians chapter 1, 25 to 27, I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is, but is gloriously rich, this mystery, which is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery, Christ dwelling in us, that hope of glory. Colossians chapter 2, 2 to 3, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may be, have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, for which I am in chains. Colossians 4, 3 reminds us that his context is he's in chain. Pray for us, too, that God may open the door for our message that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. N.T. Wright, in his commentary, defines mystery this way. It is the secret plan of God for the salvation of the whole world, as this has now been made known in and through Jesus Christ. It is the mystery which consists in Christ, not merely in him as an individual, but in the wide implications of who he is and what he has achieved. A message, however, which challenges the power structures of the present age is always dangerous to proclaim, hence for which Paul writes, I'm in chains, he's suffering, and his present imprisonment was therefore, as he indicated in 1 verse 24, part and parcel of his apostolic vocation, which itself was bound up with the mystery of Christ and of ushering in of the new age. I want to share with you five aspects of this mystery which is now revealed to us. And I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at that, but when we come to the fifth aspect of the mystery of God, I want to spend more of our time looking at how does this mystery, which I've come to know through Christ, transform my living? I don't know if you noticed it or not, but particularly in Ephesians and Colossians, the front end of those letters is full of commendation, prayer of thanksgiving, but then really needed and urgent Bible teaching and theology. And once that foundation is laid, the rest of those books begin to look at the practical outliving of the mystery of Christ in us, our hope of glory. That outline fits both Ephesians and Colossians. There's a lot of similarities, although they were different because of their context. The first thing we need to recognize, and, and Harris and Wright have already emphasized this, mystery is the revealed secret 
plan of God. Now when I thought of that, I began to think of the narrative of the Old Testament. And I recall even in the early stages of beginning to write the history of mankind, there's a lot of things that are happening in those first chapters that I don't get. I believe it, but I don't fully understand it. A lot of it, there's a lot of symbols and and language used there that, you know, I need a context. I need to hear it based on the Jewish worldview. And uh, I recently picked up a book by D.A. Carson, which is entitled The God Who's There. And the wonderful thing about this book is it looks at the narrative of Scripture, the story of God, and how we fit into the story of God, and, and how much of that story uh, is mystery, particularly as you read the narrative of the Old Testament. But then we have it embodied in Christ and plainly revealed through the apostles and the prophets. And as he's wrestling with telling the storyline of how we who were created in God's image got into the mess we're in, and as he's trying to look at chapter 3, he comes to that passage where it talks about God pronouncing a curse upon the woman, and then he basically also turns and pronounces a curse on man, and he pronounces a curse upon the serpent, and then he makes a reference to to the serpent kind of squeezing the heel, but the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent. And D.A. Carson, as he's looking at this, and, and, and I was reading it through the eyes of seeing some of the mystery in God's story, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, he, he refers to Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of Christ. Whatever the film's strength and weakness, Carson writes, the opening scene where Jesus is in agony as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane is truly memorable. As Jesus is praying, a snake starts crawling over one of his limbs. Jesus stands up and suddenly slams his foot down on the snake's head. The symbolism is right out of Genesis 3. By going to the cross, Jesus willingly crushes the serpent's head by taking their guilt and shame on himself. Genesis 3.15 is sometimes called in Christian circles the proto-evangelum. That is the first announcement of the gospel. First announcement of good news. That's part of the mystery. And as we reflect of it being embodied in Christ, we see God's secret plan. Even before the beginning When he calls the universe into existence, we see the purposes and good counsel of God. 
as he now begins to reveal that through the story nine of his people in the Old Testament, preparing us for our urgent and desperate need of Jesus Christ. Now let me stop there. The other aspect of mystery is that you and I have received this precious privilege and gift of knowing the mystery, of knowing Christ. Just think of that for a moment. We have the awesome position, this side of the cross, of looking back and rereading the narrative and understanding it because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see the light. The Holy Spirit has opened our minds to begin to fathom the mysteries of God and His purposes. The Holy Spirit has brought it to a place where we know it and believe it. Christ in us, our hope of glory. God's plan, secret plan, to redeem you and me at the cross of Christ. Secondly, mystery is the revealed person, God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know if you recognize it or not, but in your reading, you may have been introduced to uh, some of the great faith songs that developed in the early church that it seems, and a lot of scholars would agree to this, that particularly when you come to Colossians and Philippians, you may indeed be singing as you're reading these phrases and these sections. Let me just read it to you when you think the mystery of God is embodied in Christ. This is what Paul writes, for example, in Colossians. Um, I'm, I'm almost thinking that we need to have the worship band back up um, and maybe uh, throw in a couple of minor keys, uh, very Jewish to have minor keys, um, make sure the rhythm is... I'm just kidding. Just sit down and relax. He's, he's about to do it, right? That's good. That's good. But I'm waiting for worship leaders and songwriters to take Colossians chapter 1, 15 to 20, and put it into a song. I'm waiting for them to go to Philippians chapter 2 and do the same thing there, verses 5 to 11. Some have tried. But, but think of it in terms of worship. The mystery of God is revealed in Christ. Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The more familiar passage, of course, comes from Philippians. But again, the mystery of God embodied in Christ Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thirdly, the mysteries revealed is the revealed provision of God's salvation. God's provision of reconciling us to himself. God's provision of making sure that his holy justice is fully satisfied upon the cross. As he provides the substitute that willingly takes upon himself our punishment, our stripes, our iniquity. And he who knew no sin becomes sin for you and me. God's provision of salvation, which then restores us into a right relationship so that you and I can call him the good, good father. The provision, what a wondrous mystery that has now been revealed as God's provision for our most desperate of needs in all human conditions. Our need for forgiveness, our need for peace, our need for meaning, And God provides that in our salvation. Then we've already encountered this as we've been reading Ephesians chapter 3. Mystery is revealed in the purpose of God that he's creating a new humanity. He is creating a new humanity. And this is particularly interesting because we move from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which now becomes obsolete, and we're introduced into a new covenant, 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. The prophets in the Old Testament said God's about to do a new thing. He's about to send a suffering servant. He's about to send the righteous branch. He's about to send the seed that will crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to establish a new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 33. I'm going to create in you a new heart. And now as we come into it, and we come through the time of Lent preparing for Easter, and we look ahead to the night where Jesus Christ is betrayed, to know that he's gathering us into a community, and he's creating a new humanity. And so Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesians. He begins by describing the human condition. Then he goes on to talk about God's provision. And then he begins to describe God's plan and purposes to create a new humanity. Because Christ has made peace at the cross. Not not just peace between God and man, but also peace this horizontal relationship so we who were once far off we who were without hope we who did not have the covenant we who did not have the promise we who had no promise have brought been brought near now god is making a new humanity and it's used in a metaphor of of a a uh, building project, and we've just completed a building project at Evergreen, and let me tell you, what a project. You'll have to come and see it. I'm waiting for them to finish the project and finish with the chapel. I've been put back into church planting and changing the furniture every Sunday. But just the wonder of it. Spend time going through Ephesians chapter 2. The mystery the revealed purpose of God to create a new humanity. But I want to really spend a little bit more time talking about the fifth aspect of mystery. The revealed power of the gospel to transform lives. When I was uh, attending college at uh, Northwest Baptist Theological College when it was on Southeast Marine Drive, and uh, I had uh, Dr. Harold Dressler, I had Dr. Donald A. Carson, and uh, I had a number of others that uh, if I were to mention them, it might bring some laughter if you knew them. But um, part of trying to earn enough money to go to school meant that I did a number of different things uh, for work. And I, uh, this one job I had was at Burke's at Guilford Mall. I don't know if it's still there. It's gone? Okay. Oh, well. Um, anyways, I got a job working at Burke's, and this really dates me. I know that. But Burke's not only sold beautiful chinaware and, and wonderful uh, silverware, it sold watches. It had, it, own, it had its own watch line. 
You could buy a Burke's watch. How many remember? How many had one? You probably don't have it anymore, right? Okay. How many wear watches? Not many of you, I know. But I also had opportunity to sell diamonds, diamond rings. And, and, as, and as you look at a diamond, there are a number of important aspects of a diamond. A lot of people look at one aspect, particularly the weight, typically referred to as carat, which talks weight and size. Other people look at this diamond and they look at clarity, how it's reflecting back the light. Others look at the color. And there are various uh, ways of describing and determining the value of that diamond. Others look at where was the diamond from? Because they gave certain quality to where. And then, of course, there was the aspect, how was that diamond cut? You see, we've been looking at the different aspects of mystery, which has now been made known. It was hidden long ago, but now we come to another aspect, the final aspect. This mystery can transform your life. If you come with me to Ephesians chapter 2, this mystery which can transform your life, exposes the universal human condition, both in Ephesians and Colossians, is made very clear. Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then we have the divine intervention introduced by the word but. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. The mystery, Christ in us, hope of glory. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And many of us have hidden this in our heart for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This mystery, now revealed, embodied in Christ, 
can transform our lives. This mystery can transform our lives. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 32, a lengthy passage that describes our new life in Christ. It's described in terms of putting off or taking off, discarding the old, dirty laundry and putting on the new. It's described in terms of behavior and choices. It's described in a way that you begin to realize that if I really know this mystery, it must be evident in radical change of living. Because this mystery transforms our lives. Walter Wangern wrote an analogy of the mystery of the gospel of Christ. And he penned it in the story entitled The Ragman. And let me just read it to you. Early one Friday morning, I was walking through the streets of the town, and I came across a giant man, six foot four, pulling a cart filled with rags. While they were but scraps of clothes, they were clean and bright. And as was the peddler, calling out the wares, rags, come get your rags, clean new rags. I'll take your old ones and trade them for new. I was very curious to see such a sight. Not that I'd never witnessed people trying to make a buck on the hard streets, but this fellow seemed so hardy and strong. Certainly he could find work doing some other thing than pushing rags. I decided to follow him at a distance to see what he was up to. At his first stop, he came across a sad woman crying on the stoop of her apartment building. She held a stained scrap of cloth to her face as the man approached. He stepped over garbage and broken toys and offered the woman a clean handkerchief. As he did so, her tears dried up and her entire face brightened. But as he walked away, the ragman began to sob uncontrollably. He wiped his face with the old dirty cloth that he'd taken from that sad woman on the porch. I shook my head in wonder. The next person that the ragman came up was a little girl. Her head was wrapped in a bandage that was dark with blood. And as the ragman approached, she lifted her eyes and asked for a lovely hat to adorn her head. How could he resist? He reached into his bag and pulled out a yellow bonnet that would fit her just perfectly. Before he laid it on her head, he unwound the bandage from the girl's head and placed it around his own head. As he did so, a thin stream of blood emerged from his own head and trickled down his cheek. He didn't mind at all. 
He placed that cheery hat upon the girl's head and went on his way. Happiness crossed her face for the first time in many days, and the ragman staggered into the street. By this time, the sun had moved to a high point in the sky, and the ragman looked up and grew weary. He started to move more quickly with a greater purpose. Eventually, he came to a man leaning against a telephone pole. Can I offer you some clean clothes for work? The ragman offered. The other man sneered and laughed. How can I work when I only have one arm? He lifted up his jacket, showing the empty right sleeve. The ragman simply said, let's exchange coats. What happened next, I cannot believe. The ragman removed his jacket, which came, with it came his right arm. He handed it to the man at the telephone pole who gladly put it on and walked away whole and happy. The ragman kept going, this time a bit more slowly. The ragman hurried down the street before long he came up to a drunk huddled upon the edges of an overpass, covered in a blanket, the stench of which I simply will not relate here. It didn't faze the ragman, however. He lifted off that awful rag from that drunk and gave him a brand new covering. Immediately the man stood up and walked away with a strength and purpose not seen in years. The ragman stumbled and fell with the burden of the old clothes. Still he moved along even more urgently that afternoon. He moved to the streets, crying, bleeding, pulling his cart with one arm and stumbling along through the haze of drunkenness. He was in such a hurry, I could hardly keep up with him. Eventually, he reached a garbage pit. The ragman climbed to the top of the landfill and laid out a large blanket. He fluffed up his jacket and laid exhausted, head on the top. The ragman laid down closed his eyes, covered himself with the drunk man's army blanket, and died. Oh, how shocking and terrible. I wasn't expecting this at all. I slunk away to my bedroom, cried myself to sleep. I'd come to love the ragman, and yet he had seemingly died alone. I was so distraught. I slept all the way through Friday night and Saturday too. All of a sudden, I was awakened on Sunday morning by a bright light. This amazingly hard, pure, shocking light came streaming into my room that day. I could hardly open my eyes. And when I did, I had to blink several times. Yet still, I did not believe what I saw. There... Standing before me was the ragman. The only sign of his suffering the days before was a small scar on his forehead. Other than that, he was entirely intact. I couldn't believe it. And it was filled with shame. I lowered my eyes my head and, and hesitantly approached the ragman. Stripping myself of all my clothes, I stored, stood before him naked Please, I implore him, I implored him, dress me. The ragman turned and chose one of the many shining clothes next to him. The entire room was filled with his glory. 
He dressed me. Then my Lord that day, with new rags, I'm a wonder beside him, the ragman, the Christ. The mystery of God revealed and embodied in Christ transforms our living.